John chapter 17, verse number 23. This has been our base scripture. For this series, we've been entitling Unity, I Need You. Unity, I Need You. The text says that Jesus prays to his father prior to his crucifixion, as we're going to celebrate the crucifixion and the resurrection. We're celebrating the resurrection on the third Sunday in April, Easter Sunday. But prior to going to the cross of Calvary, Jesus prayed this prayer. He says, I am in them and you are in me. May they experience such perfect unity that the world will know that you sent me and that you love them as much as you love me. I need us to read that out loud and on purpose because when you, when you, when you hear yourself reading the word of God and when you hear the word coming out of your mouth, it, 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 it does something different to you because you, your sensory mechanism are being activated to the point to where that word gets down in your heart. Can we read it out loud and on purpose? Let's read it again. It says, what? I am in them and you are in me. May they experience such perfect unity. Who is the they? Born again believers. May they experience what? Such perfect unity that the world will know that you sent me and that you love them as much as you love me. Now, guys, that's, that's, again, that's a powerful uh, prayer that Jesus prayed, and it is the truth of his word because he is truth, right? Thy word is truth. And so when Jesus said that, when our unity as born-again believers is so solid and so together, when, when, when that happens, when the world sees that, the world will know that God the Father sent God the Son and that God the Father loves the world just as much as he loves his son. Powerful, powerful, powerful. Now, guys, we've been talking about authentic community, and we talked about that when Jesus developed his disciples, uh, what Jesus developed with his disciples is embodied in the word community, right? And living in community with Jesus, the disciples followed his teaching and the example. I told you on last week that community perfects. I told you community protects. And I told you community preaches, Right? Community perfects, it protects, and it preaches. Now, you guys remember a few weeks back, or maybe a couple of months or so ago, when we first started this series, because we start series and we continue series until they're done, right? <laughs> Don't y'all laugh too hard, okay? But I, I, I referenced 20th century uh, Christian theologian uh, Francis Schaeffer, and Francis Schaeffer said Christian unity is the final apologetic of the church, Christian unity is the final apologetic of the church. And the word apologetic, I told you, comes from a Greek word, apologia, which means an argument or a defense of something. Think of it in this terms of a courtroom setting where the prosecutor has made their case. Y'all watch Law and Order, right? Uh, now, and, and some of you old ones remember, um, uh, you know, uh, some of the old, what's, what's the, uh, the, uh, the lawyer from Wade? Perry Mason, yeah, there we go, all right. Uh, but, but those courtroom dramas, okay? But, but, but in a courtroom setting where the prosecutors made their case and now uh, it's time for the, uh, the defense to begin to come up and to begin to tell their side of the story. Well, that's the concept of this word apologetics. Apologetic, the last part of that word comes from the same root word as the word logic in our language. So apologetic is reason, I told you it's reason arguments, uh, or writings in justification of something, usually a religious doctrine. So when Schaefer said, listen to this carefully, when he said Christian unity is the final apologetic of the church, he was saying that it's the best argument that we have 
of making our case to the world that we are the real deal. It's our best argument to the world that that Christianity is legit. Are you listening to me today? That Jesus was sent by the Father and did what the Bible said he did and he loves them the way Jesus said in, in John 17 that he loved them. Our unity displays that. So herein is the secret, or it's not really a secret, but can you understand why Satan loves disunity? Can you understand now why Satan wants to divide the church? Can you understand why when you know that unity shows the world that the father loves them as much as he loves the son and that the father sent the son? When, 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 because Satan knows that, he will divide us along every line that he can possibly come up with. He's the father of division. He's the father of lies, the Bible says. So he seeks to divide the body of Christ so that that unity that Jesus says, when it's on display, it will have significant impact in bringing the world into a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, his son. So that's why the devil fights unity so bad. That's why the devil divides Christians amongst racial lines, amongst denominational lines, amongst cultural lines. He loves to divide. He don't care what, how he does it as long as we're not together. Because he recognizes that if we are together, if we're walking in unity, serving in unity, that we're going to have monumental impact in this world that we live in. Can I get a witness? So Jesus, Jesus, Jesus built, he, he, he built a community with his followers. So the miracle of unity that, that, that was displayed with Jesus and his followers is something that, that, that we, we, need to, we need to embrace because the Bible says so. Now, we're going to the this, this seventh uh, part of our uh, uh, particular uh, items that we're, we're pulling out and we're focusing in on. And today we're going to talk about supervision, okay? We're going to talk about supervision. Jesus built community by teaching people in groups both large and small, we told you. And his pattern for doing so included the seventh principle, which is supervision. And guys, I'm going to tell you something. In our weaknesses, hear me carefully, in our weaknesses... We won't fully agree on everything, but that's not what matters to us most. It's about, amen, coming together on the common ground of Christ Jesus. See, unity does not mean conformity. There are churches that do stuff differently than we do it. But if they're preaching Jesus and people are getting saved, then we can walk in unity. But if you're telling me that Jesus is not the way, if there are multiplicity of ways to God, then we're going to have a little bit of a problem. I love you, but I can't serve as far as promoting God and the gospel message with you if you're saying Jesus is not the way. Are you with me today? But there are a lot of, a lot of times we divide among stuff that's very insignificant. And when we get to heaven, guys, we're going to be surprised at the stuff that we tripped out over here on earth. And God can say, y'all wasted a whole lot of time and energy fussing over that stuff when you could have been presenting my son to a world that desperately needed him. Now, so, so let's talk about supervision right quick. So when you, when you define supervision, it is the function of watching, guarding, or overseeing. Watching, guarding, or overseeing. Now, let me see the hands of all of y'all who, in your place of employment, you served in a supervisory role before. Let me see your hands. You, 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 are, you are responsible for managing people. 
I got to ask you a question. Was it easy? Because in a nutshell, as a supervisor, you're responsible for, for getting those who are under you, right? Those who you are watching over, guarding, overseeing, you're responsible for them getting whatever assignment that your department or your area has been given. And, and the, the, the reality is that you, you know, those, those people who are under you are different in a lot of cases, and trying to get people to work together on a team can be something else at times. Are y'all with me today? But guys, guess what? Jesus Christ gave us a pattern and a way of getting his will done in the earth realm. So supervising is not necessarily an easy task. But I, I, I tell you, when you get someone who knows how to do it right, it's a beautiful thing to watch it be on display. Amen? So Jesus is supervision. He kept check on his disciples through his questions, through his illustrations, through his warnings uh, and, and admonitions uh, in, in order to keep them on course to know and fulfill his work through them. Because Jesus understood that he was not going to be with the disciples always. He knew that his time on earth was getting short. He knew that his time on earth uh, would, would, would dissipate he was going to ascend back to the Father in heaven and so he was trying to prepare the disciples to carry on the work. Amen? To carry on the work of ministering the gospel message to those who so desperately needed it. Okay? So, so Jesus, let, let's go if you will. Uh, the first point I want to make, uh, make a note of is, number one, he kept check on them. People don't do what you expect People do what you inspect. I think I'll say that again. That sounded good to me. People don't do what you expect. They do what you inspect. Let me, get, let me just give you a little perfect illustration here. Uh, and and I, I, this is not, just, just hear me out right quick, okay? We're, we're fast approaching uh, the tax filing deadline, which is April 15th. Is that correct? Is that right? All right. April 15th. Now, do you not recognize that, that, that the Internal Revenue Service, and, and nobody really likes paying taxes. Do, you, do, you, do, y'all, do any of y'all go to work and say, well, you know what? Just take as much out as you want to take out. Because I want, I want to have smooth roads. I want to have uh, uh, libraries to go to. Just take as much as you want to take. No, you want to take as little as possible. Right? But the fact remains that in order for a society to have resources to do the things that gov- government does, they get the money from who? All right? So don't, don't think for one second the government got plenty of money. Yeah, they do when they take it out your pocket. Are you with me today? But now, I would submit to you and I would surmise that, that, that there are a lot of Americans who are not reporting all of their income. Let me come to this side over here. <laughs> that person that comes to do a job for you, that says, well, if you give me cash, you know, I'll I, I cut a couple hundred dollars off of that. And sometimes they're saying that because, because you know, if you write them a check, it's the same as cash, right? Y'all know that, right? In other words, you got to go, as long as you got money in the bank, right? But oftentimes people are saying, if you pay me cash money, that's not traceable unless you send them a 1099. I think I'm stepping on some toes this morning. But now, if you knew 
that the IRS was going to audit you this year, hello, then you knew they were going to inspect what you were reporting, then the likelihood of you reporting everything that comes into your hand is going to be greater now because you know they're going to inspect. Okay. Is that, is that, is that plain and clear? Oh, let, let me give you a, a, a little, little uh, 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 another illustration from a morality standpoint. Uh, I, th- there, are, there are guys who I know who act different when they're not around their wives. Can we make it plain just for a second? They act a little different when they're not around their wives. They're, they're, they're much freer and they're much, they're much more uh, looser and they're, 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 they're much more flirtatious. <laughs> when their spouse is not in their company, but when their wife is around, they're like this here. I don't even see nothing. I didn't see that fine lady, nor I didn't. I didn't see her. When you're supervising, when you're over something, it is paramount that you check on the thing that you're over. Are you with me? Because people won't do what you expect oftentimes. Now, there, there are people who are self-motivated and who will do exactly what they are told to do, and they'll stay late to get it done. But there are others, if you don't inspect it, you won't get what you expect. Amen? So Jesus kept checking them. If you will, go with me to Mark, the sixth chapter. Let's go to Mark, chapter six, uh, and we're going to walk down through here just for a second, okay? Jesus made a point to meet with his disciples following their tours of service to hear their reports and to share with them. Go to uh, Mark, chapter six, and we'll look at verse number 30. Now, in, in a sense, Jesus' teaching rotated between instruction and assignment. In case y'all guys haven't noticed, you know, one of the things that we've been trying to implement here over the last year or so is, is that it's, we have our time for teaching, our, our discipleship training, but we also make time for us to do service, to go out and put this stuff into action, all right? And, and what my desire is from a pastoral standpoint is to have regular occurrences of us, we as born-again believers, members of this body of faith at EBC, being taught the Word of God, learning it, and then having opportunities on a regular basis where you don't have to guess, okay, we're going to have these areas where you can serve on a regular basis. So if you're saying, but, but bro, Pastor, I don't know what to do, you're going to know that there's, these are areas where you can go and serve in. And I'm not talking about just you know, serving in will it is good, but we got to serve out will he also. The church has been good about, in a lot of cases, coming together and serving inwardly. But what I'm after as your pastor is for us to take this message, this love message, this agape love message, and take it out to the community. And that means that we got to get outside the four walls. That means we got to connect with other groups that are doing things uh, that, that are pleasing to God. We need, we, need to, we need to start serving in some of these organizations, serving on boards of directors, making yourself a, an EBC plant in those areas. Are you with me today? So that you can represent your Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and represent this church in that area of service. So it's not about just coming and sitting on the pews. Y'all know what a pew member is? Oh, no, have y'all ever heard the term bench member? Now some of y'all, 
maybe who didn't grow up in certain cultures, but we used to have what we know as a bench member. You know what a bench member is? That's the person who comes on Sunday and sits on the bench. We can call them chair members now because we have chairs, right? So they come and they sit on the chair, they sit on the bench, and that's the, that's, that's the totality of their service to the Lord. They're going to be faithful in coming and sit on the bench. But they never seem to find time to put this stuff into action by serving, by ministering, by helping someone. And so that's what we're after. I'm telling you up front, as your pastor, I don't want you to just sit. I want you to get involved. Amen? In promoting the gospel message. So watch what the text says here. Are y'all with me? So, so the apostles returned to Jesus from their ministry tour and told him all they had done and they had taught. Keep reading. It says, then Jesus says, let's go off by ourselves to a quiet place and rest a while. Okay? Now, now let, let me say this. Rest is important. Remember, we learned this in emotional healthy spirituality and emotional healthy relationship. It's important for us to have our Sabbath rest. Sometimes you can run so hard doing things for the Lord that you don't spend any time with the Lord and you don't spend any time resting and recuperating. I teased Sister Monica Harris all the time. I said, Monica, I said, you, you got that Martha spirit. I said, you, you, you will work. You are a go-getter. You will do, 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 do. And Monica run the camera. She fixed breakfast on Sunday morning. She'll cook during the week. She runs. She, 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 she's going and going. And, 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 and I love her for that. But also, Maria and I have to caution her. You can get so busy doing all this stuff that you can experience spiritual burnout because you didn't spend the time with the Lord you spend time doing stuff for the Lord. Okay? So we got to have, everybody say balance. balance. You got to have a healthy balance. It says, so let's go off by ourselves to a quiet place and rest a while. He said this because there were so many people coming and going that Jesus and his apostles didn't even have time to eat. Look at verse number 32 with me right quick. Ready? Let's read. So they left by boat for a quiet place where they could be alone. Where they could be alone. Now, guys, this 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 uh, particular instance right here comes on the heel of uh, of, of the disciples and Jesus having fed the five thousand. Uh, and, and and I want to share something with you because this this is important to me to, to understand this. If you go back up and look at the first part of this chapter, go back with me uh, to uh, let's start in verse number one. Okay, and I, I started reading this a couple of Sundays ago. But I, I need y'all to lock in with me, okay? Because, see, God desires to build our relationship with him to such a point to where he can trust us to go out and represent him to a lost and a dying world. We are ambassadors for Christ, right? And so we are God's representative in the earth realm. So we should do that to the best of our ability. But I told you on last week it's important for us to be trained and developed before we go out, Right? The Bible says that Jesus left the, that part of the country and returned with his disciples to Nazareth, his hometown. The next Sabbath, he began teaching in the synagogue, and many who heard him were amazed. They asked, where did he get all this wisdom and the power to perform such miracles? Y'all remember this? All right. In his hometown. Kinfolk. People who know you. Then they scoffed. He's just a carpenter, the son of Mary, and the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon. And their sisters live right here among us. They were Watch this. They were what? Deeply offended. Oh, y'all, they were, they, they were deeply offended. Why? Watch this. They were deeply offended and refused to believe in him because what? They knew him. 
They knew his people. Are you with me today? They were familiar, and familiarity sometimes breeds contempt with people. When they see God moving in your life, when they see you not doing the things you used to do, and that when they see you not running with them and doing all the crazy stuff you used to do, sometimes they'll get offended when you start talking about Jesus has changed my life. And that's what's happening here. Watch, watch the text. Can we keep reading? Then Jesus told them, a prophet is honored everywhere except in his own hometown and among his relatives and his own family. And because of their unbelief, he couldn't do any miracles among them except to place his hands on a few sick people and heal them. Didn't say he couldn't do miracles. He said he couldn't do it there. He couldn't do many of them because of their what? Unbelief. Guys, let me tell you something. Unbelief stifles the move of God. God is still in the miracle working business. God is still in the healing business. He's never stopped because that's his very essence. He's still performing miracles today. But one of the reasons why we don't experience miracles in this society today is there's so much unbelief. That runs rampant and heavy in our culture, in our church culture, because we got too many people who are coming to a country club rather than coming to learn and be disciple. And so he couldn't do many mighty works there. And, and maybe God is not moving in miraculous ways in your life because you have unbelief permeating. The Bible says this, without faith, it's impossible to please God. The person who comes to God has to believe that God is and that he's a rewarder of those who do what? Diligently seek him. So many times we're not experiencing the miraculous move of God in our life because we have unbelief. And you can't have faith for something that you don't have word on. Are you with me today? You can't believe God for healing if you don't have a word on healing. You can't believe God for your finances if you don't have a word on the finances. You can't, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. As the word gets down in my spirit and my heart and I begin to meditate on it and begin to stand on it, it'll produce the faith I need to act even when I can't see it. Can we keep reading? And he was amazed and unbelieved and Jesus went from village to village teaching the people. Text says this, and he called his 12 disciples together and began sending them out. Here's where we left off last week. Sending them out two by two, giving them authority to cast out evil spirits. Text says this in verse number eight. He told them to take nothing for their journey except the walking stick, no food, no traveler's bag, no money. Keep reading. He says this. He allowed them to wear sandals, but not to take a change of clothes. Wherever you go, stay in the same house until you leave town. But if any place refuses to welcome you or listen to you, shake his dust from your feet as you leave to show that you have abandoned those people to their faith. Now, he's given them, I told you last week, he's given these briefing instructions before he sends them out. So disciples went out telling everyone, they met to repent of their sins and to turn to God. And they cast out many demons and healed many sick people, anointed them with olive oil. Back up. See, oil is symbolic of the Holy Spirit's presence. There's not magic in the oil, but the anointing symbolizes the presence of the Holy Spirit. Now, these disciples, these apostles went out under the authority and the power that Jesus uh, uh, conveyed upon them. And guess what, guys? He conveys that same authority upon us as followers of Christ. But so many times, we, we don't recognize what we have. We don't recognize the power and authority of the Holy Spirit and how he moves in those who will yield their will to his. God wants to use us to help transform this society. I was, and I, y'all hear me say this all the time. The, the demand and for the church is not so much to change the culture by the political system. 
And, and whenever we come together and we meet as Christians, I don't want to know if you're a Republican. I don't want to know if you're a Democrat. I want to know if you believe the word of God and you're going to do what it says. Do you not know that there are some Republicans who have the audacity to think that you, if you're a Democrat, you ain't saved? Do you not realize there's some Democrats who have the audacity to think that if you're a Republican, you're not saved? You cannot be saved. Do you not realize that there's some people who have the audacity to judge your, your faithfulness to Christ and your salvation based on who you voted for? Now show me in the Bible where it says, oh, I can determine whether or not you love Jesus and whether or not you say based on what political party you affiliate with. The church has abdicated its responsibility and have tried to do it based off of political power rather than the Holy Ghost power. And what I'm telling you is, if you keep on doing that, God's going to deal with you. Because he never called on the church to transform the world through politics. We ought to be involved. Yes, we ought to vote. Yes, we ought to, we ought to do our civic responsibility. But never trust in a man and a system who will only use you to get votes. And I say it then, and I meant it. Because it happens on both sides of the aisle. You, as a born-again believer, need to stand on the truth of God's word and stop following man. Hello, somebody. Can we keep reading? That's my, that's my little diatribe this morning, okay? All right. Because, see, the devil knows that if, say, say for instance, what we've been talking about building a multi-ethnic church, the devil knows is if, if, if the church, if the body of Christ truly digs into the word and see what the word says and begin to operate by that, he can't keep us apart. So what he does is he says, I'm going to take the discussion from the word and I'm going to put it into the political arena. So that when you start talking about what the word of God says about race relations, then now we're going to say, okay, let's take it from there and say, okay, y'all are woke now. Any, any, any of my Caucasian brothers have been accused of being woke now? Raise your hand, raise your hand. Raise, you've been accused of being woke now because now you said... I'm just studying the word of God and I see what the word of God says about unity and that unity means that it doesn't matter what color the skin is of the pastor who's leading that church. If I'm led of the Holy Ghost to be there and I'm in the place that God told me to be, I'm going to go where God told me to go. Amen. But some people can't understand that and vice versa. So what we got to learn to do is, is so the devil takes the argument from the scripture to the political arena because he knows he can divide you that way. He can shut down the discussion on the word when you get into the politics. Preach the word. Be instant in season, out of season. Reprove. Rebuke. With all long-suffering doctrine. And that's what we're going to do here in this church. Can I get a witness? Can we keep reading? And they cast out many demons and heal many sick people, anointing them with, with olive oil. Here's Herod anticipation. Herod Antipas, the king, soon heard about Jesus. Now watch this, guys, because everyone was talking about him. Some were saying, this must be John the Baptist raised from the dead. That's why he can do such miracles. Text says this in the next verse. Let's read. Others said he's the prophet Elijah. Still others said he's a prophet like the other great prophets of the past. When Herod heard about Jesus, he said, John, the man I beheaded, has come back from the dead. All right, so what happened that John the Baptist was headed by Herod Antipas? Let's see what this text says. 
For Herod, let's back up. Next verse, previous verse says, when Herod heard about Jesus, he said, John, the man I beheaded has come back from the dead. Let's keep reading. It says, for Herod had sent soldiers to arrest and imprison John as a favor to Herodias. Now watch this, guys. Watch this foul mess that took place. She had been his brother's Philip's wife. Y'all heard that? But Herod had married her. Herod and Tippus took Philip, his brother's wife. They had an adulterous affair, and he took the woman. Now watch this, guys. See, as a body, as a born-again believer, I don't care who it is and who you voted for, if, if someone goes outside what the Word of God says, I don't care if you like him uh, for everything, everything else he does, you better call out sin when sin is in the, in the politics. And when the person who's doing it is sinning, there are some people who won't, they'll call out other folks when they do the very same thing, but when your guy in office, you won't say, oh, quiet. John the Baptist saw the immorality. If you don't notice, rarely does he just deal with the political system. As a matter of fact, he told you to run under the season that was his season, under God that was his God. He want, because guess what? He knows that we're living in a fallen world, but he calls upon us to live under the kingdom of God. He talked about the kingdom, God's way of doing things, right? If you're so engrossed on trying to change society and people by a law, which it never will do it, because that's why Jesus came, because the law couldn't change people. But Jesus could. Watch what he says. It says, for Herod sent soldiers to arrest and imprison John as a favor to Herodias. She had been his brother Philip's wife, but Herod had married her. But watch what happened. John had been telling Herod, it's against God's law for you to marry your brother's wife. He didn't say it's. He didn't talk to him about taxes. He didn't talk to him about uh, uh, building a rec center or anything like that. But when he when he violated God's moral law, he said, "Uh, uh-uh, that's wrong." Look at what he says, guys. Look at me. He took his brother's wife. Now, can you imagine the uproar in your family? Oh, yeah. Did that, just, did that just kind of hit somebody between the face right there? Can you imagine the uproar in your family if your brother took his sister-in-law to, to marry? But here's the king, guys. Well, see, when, when, you, when a person gets in authority and think they could do anything they want to do, that pride rises up. And that's what happened here. John had been telling Herod, it's against God's law for you to marry your brother's wife. Keep reading. Let's go, guys. So Herodias bore grudge against John and wanted to kill him. But without Herod's approval, she was powerless. He was the king. Now, guys, watch this. I want you to know something. Herod saw John the Baptist's life and respected him to the point to where he wouldn't move against John the Baptist. Even though John the Baptist told him about himself. See, when you live right and you're living the life in front of people, you can speak truth in their life because they see your lifestyle. The problem we have in the church is we're trying to speak into the culture and the culture is watching us be disunified and watching us being immoral and they're not listening to us. I mean, as a whole. I I don't want to make it seem like it's doom and gloom because God always has a remnant. God always has a people who will stand for him no matter what. And I pray that we, we be a body of believers who will stand for truth no matter who is coming against us. So Herodias, Herodias, which is Philip's wife, who Herod took from him, 
Herodias bore a grudge against John and wanted to kill him, but without Herod's approval, she was powerless. Next verse says what? For Herod respected John. Watch this. Here, here I go. He respected John, and knowing that he was a good and holy man, he protected him. Now, his mistress wanted to get him. I like this man, right? I, listen, he, what he did was wrong, but I could respect him for respecting the man of God to the point where he didn't move against the man of God because he saw the man of God's lifestyle. Husbands. Oh, husbands. I said husbands. Husbands. Will y'all look at me, husbands? Men of God in this place, stand for righteousness and don't be moved by the pillow talk. There are some men who they can know what's right, but when their wife fusses and gets antsy and, 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 and starts saying, I'm going to, you you don't do what I say, you, you're not going to touch me. So the man abdicates his responsibility in an effort to say, well, you know, I got to live with her. But, yeah, you got to live with her, but do what's right. I didn't get one clap. The men scared to clap. <laughs> men scared to clap. Do what the word of God says. Watch what happens here. Now, I will submit to you still, watch the, watch the, the, the analogy of this story because even though John the Baptist ultimately is beheaded, it's not because Herod uh, moved based off of what Herodias wanted to do. I'm going to tell you why he did it. Watch what the text says. For Herod respected John, and knowing that he was good and a holy man, he protected him. Herod was greatly disturbed whenever he talked with John, but even so, he liked to listen to him. Listen to what it says here. Here's the king. He was greatly disturbed whenever he talked with John because John is talking about the kingdom of God. John is talking about his God. And, 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 and Herod liked to talk to him, but he was disturbed because he was dealing with his issue. Herod didn't have a relationship with God, so, so, but he's hearing this thing that, that's challenging him in his walk. But even so, he liked to listen to him. See, when you preach truth, there are going to be some times people are going to be disturbed with me. I, I told y'all before, there are going to be times when as your pastor, when I come knocking on your door, you're going to get offended with me when you're in your flesh. Because how many of y'all come to church sometime in your flesh? All right, come on. You haven't really prayed up. Your, your mind is it's not really focusing on God. And then I say something, and I can show you right in the Word of God what I said. And then you get huffy puffy like, well, that no man going to tell me what to do. I'm not trying to tell you. I'm just telling you what the Word of God says. And this is me speaking the Word of God. I'm just a vessel that God uses to get the Word out. I'm just a vessel. But it's okay to get mad at me because you, you're too scared to get mad at God. So you get, because you think he'll strike you down, so you get mad at the pastor. So don't get mad at me. I'm okay with that. It comes with the territory. But I'm going to keep preaching it. Amen? Because I love you all. And your parents, they're telling baby, I love you. That's why I got to whip you right now. <laughs> and y'all remember those words? And, and, and the truth be told, there is a place for corporate punishment, not abuse. Don't abuse your child. But, but, but there's, there are times when your children may need some corporal punishment. Time out don't work for everybody. 
foolishness is bound in the, rod, in the heart of a child, but the rod of correction will drive it far from So there's a correct way to discipline people. I said there's a correct way to discipline. Don't abuse a child. That's, that's, that's don't abuse a child. But, but I, I would submit to you abuse, a, a form of abuse is, is letting that child be just as bad as something all to get out and you won't discipline them. The Bible says that child will bring their mother to open shame. Okay? You know they're bad. Everybody else knows they're bad. So let's be honest. Okay? Can't de- Listen, you can't deal with your problem until you're honest about it. Say, my child bad. All right. Can we keep moving? Next verse. Come on, I, I got to get through this. I'm, Herodotus' chance finally came on Herod's birthday. He gave a party for his high government officials, army officers, and the leading citizens of Galilee. Watch this. Then his daughter, also named Herodias, came in. Then his daughter, also named Herodias. His daughter, also named Herodias. In other words, his daughter's name after his mistress. Came in and performed a dance that greatly pleased Herod and his guests. Now, he, here he does, he opens his mouth and says something. He decrees something that in this era, whenever a king decreed something and signed it with his insignia ring, he couldn't change it. So guess what happens? She came in and performed a dance that greatly pleased Herod and his guests. Ask me for anything. That had to be a powerful dance. I say this all the time, I read it, that had to be a powerful dance. I don't know what kind of dance that was. questions of the text. I, I don't know about you, but I, when I read the Bible, I, I said, what did she do? What kind of, did she do the bump? Did she do the wobble? Did she do the cabbage patch? <laughs> Some of y'all are like, what in the world is he talking about? I, I, I got to give you old school dance because I hadn't, uh, yeah, I just, I just, it's been a while. But I don't know what it was, but it was so amazing that the king says, ask me for anything you like, and I'll give it to you. Next verse. Text says this. He even, he even vowed, I will give you whatever you ask, up to half my kingdom. Glory be to God, up to half my kingdom for a dance. I'm going to learn how to dance like that. Half the kingdom, guys, for a dance. <laughs> Kingdoms have fallen because of women dancing. Okay. I will give you whatever you ask up to half my kingdom. Watch the text. Says, watch this. She went out and asked her mother. Now, here, here's, here's Herodias. Because, again, now he makes this proclamation in front of everybody. I told you he respected John the Baptist enough that well, he would, even though Herodias wanted to get rid of him, but she couldn't because... Herod wouldn't do it. He respected John. And when you live for Christ, people may not agree with you, but if you are consistent and a truth teller, they'll respect you because of what, you, what your lifestyle says. So she, she went out and asked her mother, what should I ask for? Uh, ask for the head of John the Baptist. My goodness. Look at the text. Watch this. So the girl hurried back to the king and told him, I want the head of John the Baptist right now on the tray. Then the king deep. The king, what? Deeply regretted what he said, but because of the vows, not because of Herodias, 
Not because of his girl, but because of the vows he had made in front of his guests, he couldn't refuse her. Sometimes you need to shut your mouth and quit, quit talking out of your emotions. Because he was so flabbergasted and floored, emotionally by the dance that he saw, he said, whatever you want, up to half my kingdom, I'll give it to you. How many of y'all ever said something out of your emotions in the heat of the moment that you regret it later on? Yeah, it happens, right? But because of the vows he made in front of his guests, he couldn't refuse. The next verse says, well, uh, so he immediately sent an execution to the prison to cut off John's head and bring it to him. The soldier beheaded John in the prison. Wow. Verse 29, he brought, brought his head on a tray and gave it to the girl who took it to her mother. Evil. When John's disciples heard what had happened, they came to get his body and buried it in a tomb. And then that's where he wrote into this 30th verse, which says the apostles returned to Jesus from their ministry tour and told him all that he had, all that they had done and taught. Now, guys, listen to me. He kept check on them. Again, supervision means watching, guarding, and overseeing. Sometimes in the church, we've done, we've done young Christians a disservice by bringing them into the church, uh, excited that they come, and then place them in a place of service and never train and develop them. We're just glad to get people in our church. And I tell you before, I'm a little bit different. I'm not interested in just filling up the pews. I'm interested in making disciples because that's what Jesus told us to do in Matthew, the 20th chapter. And, and I, I, my desire is, is, to, is for people who are led of the Lord to come and, and do life together with us as a ministry to come and do that. And, and, and if, it's, if, it's, if it's 300 of us, it's 300. If it's 500, it's 500. I was blessed by, I meet with this, this uh, uh, y'all remember Pastor David Rice who came up and shared with us during the Thanksgiving and praise service. And he initiated a, a, a group, uh, we just uh, started meeting with a group of pastors, a cross-cultural uh, re- relationship to, to develop, to kind of uh, get pastors on board to loving each other and doing life together. And we, we have no agenda when we meet other than just to come together and talk and share. And that's good when you don't have agenda because I've, I've been in meetings where guys have egos and agendas when they come. And they're the most important person in the room when they come in. As a matter of fact, when they come, they got three bodyguards to escort them to the door. Get yourself out of here. <laughs> but, but these guys are, are just, just, they're down to earth. Uh, just, just, we just want to support and love on each other. And when we have opportunity to do things together as, as, as churches, we, we're doing that. But there's one brother that was there told me, he says, listen, he says, he says, and it blessed my heart. He says, he says, we have, he says, we have a, the term he used was a glass ceiling of 500. Okay. He says a glass ceiling of five. He says, when we start pushing past 500 as a ministry, we want to start trying to look for places to plant and send some of our people to go plant elsewhere. Because he says that, you know, that's, that's part of their mantra because it's, it's not about getting a big, the biggest church. It's about having a church to size where you can have authentic relationships. Because if you, let's be honest, if you're in a church of 5,000 people, how, how connected can you be if you don't have a strong, small group program? And many times people go to churches that they got three, four, nothing wrong. I'm not, trust me, I'm not criticizing mega churches. And mega churches by most demographers' definition, it's a church that has an average t- attendance of 2,000 people or more. I'm not knocking that. But sometimes it's, it's too easy for you in, 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 a, in a mega church to come and go. And nobody knows if you were there or not. 
But by and large, if you are active in this ministry and you're not, if you're missing, I'm, I'm, I'm going to kind of know that you're missing or somebody's going to know that you're missing. Right? You can't, it's hard to hide when you're in a three, 400 member church, but, but, but you're in a 2,000 member church, it's easy to hide, right? But there ain't going to be no hiding in here, baby, because we're all, we're, 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 we're about making disciples in this church. So, if you don't want to be a disciple, it may get a little uncomfortable, but it's okay. We're going to keep loving on you till you get comfortable doing the master's will. All right? So he kept checking on them. Watch these guys. All right, so his questions, his illustrations, his warnings, and his admonitions were calculated to bring out those things that they needed to know in order to fulfill his work, which was to evangelize the entire world. That's the assignment. The regrouping of the disciples following their evangelistic tour provided them some needed rest for the body and the soul. But scripture also shows us, guys, that, that after the disciples were sent out to work, they were expected to share their experiences later with the group. And in a similar fashion, after the 70s were sent out, Jesus called them back to report on their work during the visitation. Go to Luke 10 and 17 with me right quick. Luke 10 and 17. So, so what do you have to pass? Well, as a, as a body of believers here, as we go through different studies, we're in the real God study right now. And, and, and as we're studying together, learning about, uh, learning our God at a deeper level, we're giving you opportunities to go out and serve, to put the gospel message in action. And those service opportunities will be consistently given to you to engage in because as we serve together, as we study together, as we work together, as we love on different people together, we become a more authentic community together. Are y'all with me today? Watch the text. When the 72 disciples returned, they what? They joyfully reported to him, Lord, even the demons obey us when we use your name. He gave them authority. Now, guys, some people will tell you, well, okay, that God and Jesus, Jesus gave them this authority when they were back in that time to spread the gospel. Well, the, the gospel still needs to be spread. I would argue that we, we have this, just as decadent society today as we did back then, probably even more so, a more cynical society. So if God gave them authority and power to do it back then, wouldn't it be unfair for him to tell us to go, go do the very same thing and take that authority and power away? The Holy Spirit is still here for us to be filled by it and to be empowered by it. So I don't know what your, I'm not sure what, 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 what your faith background is coming up. And, and a lot of people came up in faith backgrounds that de-emphasize the work of the Holy Spirit. I'm not one who does that because I realize you cannot do this on your own. If you try to live this Christian life on your own, just by your intellect and your own energy, you're going to soon burn out. Depend on the power of the Holy Spirit. Be not drunk with wine, wherein is its excess, but be filled with the Spirit. And so we talk about the infilling of the Holy Spirit, and we're going to teach on that some more so that you can understand that the power source comes from the Holy Spirit, and God never designed you to live this life and to, and to do his work in your own power, your own strength. He left, he told the disciples, I'm going away, but I'm leaving a comforter who will come and who will empower you. The, the Greek word is paraclete, one who's called alongside to help. So if he's called alongside to help, why are we ignoring him? That's part of the problem is we're ignoring the Holy Spirit and what he has been assigned to do to empower us. 
So, so the second thing I want you, he, he kept checking on them, but he had continuous review and application. How many of y'all have to watch your children? How many, how many of you know you can't just tell your child something one time and expect it to be done expeditiously over and over again? It's a constant, right? And same with us. Go to Matthew, the 17th chapter. What's seen so vividly in these checkup sessions following the disciples' visitation brings into clear focus a strategy of Jesus throughout his ministry. As he reviewed uh, some experience the disciples had, he would bring out some practical application of it to their lives. He's teaching them. Let's go to Matthew 17, verse 14 through 20. Are y'all still with me today? Everybody say, Unity. I need you. Every last one of you all in here, listen to me carefully. Every last one of you in here have spiritual giftings that the body of Christ needs. And so when, whenever you're not cultivating and developing those spiritual giftings and allowing them to be utilized, you can have gift, but you sit on it. I told you all last week, it's, my job, is, 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 as I see it as your understanding, is to feed you with wisdom and knowledge from on high. But you have to choose to participate in your own spiritual development. It, it's not going to happen just because I'm talking. You got you to leave this place and say, okay, what did Pastor talk about? Let me study it out. What, what are we learning on Wednesdays? And let me begin to insert myself into the, the process of being trained. And when we go out, let me go out too. And when we come back, let's evaluate how well did we do what we did. Okay, whatever it is that we're doing as a ministry. At the foot of the mountain, a large crowd was waiting for them a man came and knelt before Jesus and said this. Watch this. Lord, have mercy on my son. He has seizures and suffers terribly. He often falls into the fire or into the water. Text says this. So I brought him to your disciples, but they couldn't heal him. Now, guys, this comes on the heel of Jesus coming down from what is known as the Mount of Transfiguration. Jesus went up and, 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 and Peter, James, and John, the inner circle, saw him uh, in a glorified state. Right? So they come back down from the mountain, okay? And, 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 and immediately they're approached by the crowd, and this man comes and says, so I brought him to your disciples, but they couldn't heal him. Now what this tells me is, is there was an expectation based on what they had seen before that the, the apostles and the disciples should have the power to lay hands on the sick and the sick recover. Can y'all go with me right quick? Go to the book of James. Can we go to James? Because in today's society, we are some people of the opinion that, that this stuff doesn't work anymore. James, I think it's chapter 5. Go, go over to verse number, verse number 13, James 5, 13. So if the Bible says it, then we ought to be doing it. And if we're not doing it, why not? And if we're not seeing the results, why not? Watch the text. Are any of you suffering hardships? You should pray. Are any of you happy? You should sing. So go to the KJV. I love the way the KJV reads in this, okay? Watch the text. Watch it. If we can get there. I'll, I'll start reading. It says, is any among you afflicted? Let him pray. Is any merry? Let him sing psalms. Is any sick among you? Is any sick among you, what does the text say? Let him call for the elders of the church. Now, let me ask you a question. When you get sick, do you call for us to pray for you? Well, it's private. 
Now, granted, there may be some things you don't want anybody to know about, but you ought to have somebody you can call and say, come pray for me. The text says, let, is any sick among you, let him what? Call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him. Anoint him with oil in the name of the Lord. As I was coming to the stage, I, I happened to check my phone, my text, and I got a text from uh, Sherika, uh, uh, Eric and uh, Sharon's daughter. Uh, she, had a, she, she sent a picture of the vehicle. Uh, she was in a, in a wreck that totaled her car. She had broken wrists and some other things, but she walked away from it uh, fine. I mean, all things being equal. Uh, and I thank God for his protection and his angelic being. But she, but she said, Pastor, I want you to pray for me. Okay? She called for, 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 for prayer from her pastoral leadership. And, and guys, it's okay to call and ask for prayer. Don't be so prideful where you got to go this thing all by yourself. I thank God. When I saw that call, I'm like, man, th- God, thank you for divine protection for Sherika. Amen? Thank God for that. But she called and asked for prayer. So call, it says, is any sick among you? Let them call for the elders of the church and let them pray over them and anoint them all in the name of the Lord. Text says this, and the prayer of faith shall save the sick and the Lord shall raise them up. And if he have committed sins, they shall be what? Forgiven him. Look at verse 16, it says this. Confess your faults one to another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effectual, fervent Prayer of a righteous man avails much. It changes things. So, guys, we, we need to learn to pray. When people are sick, when people are going through prayer, the power prayer, Monday morning connect is our prayer time. Uh, listen, it's corporate prayer time. We intercede on behalf of the body of Christ. Pray. When, you, when you're going through something, call a prayer party. Call somebody who believes in the power of prayer, not somebody who just goes to church. The first thing we should do is pray. People say, well, after, after you've done everything else, at the very remember, you can do is pray. No, no, pray first. And I believe in the power of prayer. I've seen God do it in my life. I've seen it do it in my wife's life. So we got to make sure that we are uh, 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 on point. So continuous review and application. Get, get back with me, okay? So go back to Matthew 17 with him right quick. As a matter of fact, go to, go to the third point. I, I got to get out of here. I'm, I'm going to pick back up when I come back, okay? Lesson on patience. How many of y'all need some patience? How many, how, many, how, many, how many of you need to learn how to be patient? Luke 9, verse 46. One of the most penetrating and important correctional lessons the Lord gave following the disciples' activity was in connection with their attitude toward others in the work of ministry who were not members of their group. Boy, think about this for a second. Now, when you look at this, it seems like when, when the, uh, during the course of their travels, they had run across some people casting out demons in Jesus' name. But since these persons were not of their denomination, the disciples had severely rebuked them for it. Watch the text here. Go to Luke 9, 46. This is the last one. and We'll pick back up on this, okay? Luke chapter number 9, and let's go to verse number 46 right quick. Glory to God. text says, then there arose a reasoning among them. <laughs> which of them should be the greatest. Let's go to the NLT. I like this. Go to the NLT. Now, these guys are out doing the work of ministry. And it's typical of Christians even in, in today's world. Watch what the text says. Then there, 
Then there, we'll stay here. Then there, then his disciples begin what? Now they're, they're supposed to be going out ministering and giving the message of the cross, the message of Christ, Jesus, the, the message of Christ and his love for, for mankind to the world. But what are they talking about? They begin arguing about which of them was the greatest. People who run the churches and want titles. Next verse says what? But Jesus knew their thoughts, so he brought a little child to his side. Text says this, ready? Then he said to them, anyone who welcomes a little child like this on my behalf welcomes me. And anyone who welcomes me also welcomes my father who sent me. Whoever is the least among you is the greatest. Next verse, let's go. It says this. John said to Jesus, Master, we saw someone using your name to cast out demons, but we told him to stop because he wasn't in our group. Now, ain't this a blip? We told him to stop because he isn't in our group. How many of y'all are so cliquish to where if it's not your group, if it's not your church, if it's not your denomination, nobody's right. They can't do it because they're not of us. Listen to what Jesus told him. Can we finish this up right quick? But Jesus said, don't stop him. Anyone who is not against you is for you. Can we repeat that again? Anyone who is what? Not against you is for you. Go down to 55. Let's keep reading. As the time drew near for him to ascend to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. He sent messages ahead to a Samaritan village to prepare for his arrival. Watch this, guys. And I don't have time to finish this, but I just want to give you a little taste of it. We'll pick back up. But the people of the village did not welcome Jesus because he was on his way to where? He was a Jew passing through Samaritan territory. Jews and Samaritans didn't get along. That was racial hatred. Jews will walk all the way, go miles out of the way to keep from going through Samaritan territory. But the people of the village didn't, didn't welcome Jesus because he was on his way to Jerusalem. Some people won't welcome you into their place of worship because you don't look like them. Hello? When James and John saw this, watch this now. See, you got you to watch this too. See, when James and John saw this, they said, Jesus, they said to Jesus, Lord, should we call down fire from heaven and burn them up? That's what some of y'all want to do. When you see a racist, you want to you call down fire from heaven and burn them up. Look at me. Huh? These guys are walking with Jesus. These guys, are, they've seen him do miracles. And because the Samaritans didn't want them in their town, Lord, you want us to call. Now, now obviously, well, again, I always ask questions of the text. These dudes said, Lord, should we call down fire from heaven to burn them up? Apparently, they, had, they thought they had the power to call down fire from heaven to burn them up like Elijah did, Elijah did in the Old Testament. How do you respond when people reject you? Do you, do you ask God to kill him? <laughs> That's what these dudes did, and they walk in with Jesus. Look at verse 55. But Jesus turned and did what? And rebuked them. How many of y'all rebuked the racists in your life? 
Is it your mama, your daddy, your children, your uncle? When you go to the family reunions, they start talking about somebody of a different ethnicity. What do you say? Uh-oh, uh, you laugh along with them? When you laugh along with them, you become complicit with the problem. Some people need to be challenged to look at life differently. If you go to a church and the church starts getting antsy because too many people coming in that don't look like you, and now you go, this is our church. This ain't your church. This is the Lord's church. What did Jesus do? They wanted to call down fire from heaven because the Samaritans didn't want them coming to their village. They wanted to kill some people. But Jesus turned and did what? He rebuked them. So I'm going to stop here and we're going to pick back up because, see, this is a part of their discipling, their teaching. When they would go out on mission and come back and have these experiences, Jesus would have some powwow time with them. And guys, let me tell you something. We got to constantly review what we're doing and how we're doing it. We can't settle for just being where we are right now and being mediocre. God is always calling upon each one of us to grow in our faith. And I want to, as your pastor, I'm calling upon you to grow in your faith. I don't want you to just settle for where you are right now. One of my favorite commercials that that signifies uh, what our attitude should not be as a Christian is AT&T made this commercial. I think it's AT&T. Just okay is not okay. Did y'all hear me? In the body of Christ, at EBC, just okay is not okay. The lights, the lights, we got five of them shot out. That's okay. No, it ain't okay. We're reaching, we're reaching five kids. Uh, that's okay. No, it's not okay. Whosoever will let them come. No, no, we don't want to be satisfied with just reaching five kids. Let's not settle for just okay. Let's move in a way that pleases God, giving God our very best so that he can use us to, to advance kingdom principles on earth. I thank God for each one of y'all. I thank God for my Savior, Jesus Christ, who died on the cross for my sin, was buried and resurrected the third day morning with all power in heaven and earth in his hands. And I love Jesus and I love you. And let's go and let's do life together. Unity, I need you. And you need me whether you realize it or not. Amen. We need each other. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Father, we thank you. And we praise you for this gracious.